All right, good morning. Uh, welcome, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for our worship. And I thank uh, Hannah and Mina for leading us in a time of prayer and worship. As we know, uh, so many things are happening in our country, but I appreciate our sisters so much for uh, leading us in that time. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. That's going to be in the way back of your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 2. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles or your apps, it should be up on the PowerPoint for you to follow along. Uh, Hebrews is a, uh, technically a letter, uh, but it actually reads like a very long sermon. But it's written to a group of Christians, uh, most likely of the Jewish background. And uh, they converted to Christianity, and they're in an environment where uh, they're facing a lot of hostility and persecution. Um, they're under heavy persecution. Uh, they haven't gotten to the point where actually they're dying for their faith, but uh, they're getting their properties confiscated. Uh, some of them are uh, being imprisoned, but I think one of the more, more difficult persecution that they're facing is they're being ostracized from their own Jewish community. Uh, so this Jewish community, uh, knowing that their fellow brothers have turned to Christ uh, in faith, they are now you know, uh, rejecting them from participating in their uh, traditions and in their rituals and in their community. And so they're going through a very difficult time. And last week I shared uh, that there are persecutions like this happening all across the world, uh, specifically in Kyrgyzstan, which is a closed Muslim nation. Uh, I shared a story about a sister uh, who recently converted to Christianity and her husband kicked her out of the house and she's no longer able to be with her family and to see her children. Uh, and this is, can you imagine uh, that, that experience uh, where you're not allowed to even hold your children anymore because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, but not only that, what's happening in Kyrgyzstan, or what happens in Kyrgyzstan, is that Christians aren't allowed uh, to purchase land to bury their own dead. And so there are instances where uh, the, the government will find out that there was a Christian buried in a Muslim gravesite, and they'll dig up that body and dig up that bone. And if you think about it socially and economically, this is a huge uh, obstacle for people to even think of converting to Christianity because they know that if I die, I have no place to be buried. And so there's persecutions like this happening all across the world. And uh, the temptation is for a lot of these Christians in Kyrgyzstan is to sign a document saying that they are not a Christian, uh, whether they're uh, you know, associating themselves with a non-religious, they have to sign a document in order to purchase land. And so this temptation to withdraw and to relapse into uh, the life before becoming Christian is a real temptation. And that's exactly what's happening in this letter to this group of Christians in, uh, uh, in Hebrews. And so for many of us, we, we look at the persecution that's happening all across the world. And, and we, we really don't, we really can't relate because we have freedom of religion here. But yet, I believe that there are things that deter us from our faith, that weakens our faith. It might not be persecution, but for us here, it's, it's pleasure, it's comfort, success, right? All these things that, that we're told to, to strive for and to achieve, and once we actually achieve a certain a degree of success, what happens? We become self-reliant. We no longer need to trust in God. There is no desperation. So whether it's persecution or pleasure, all around us, at every turn, there is something to deter our faith, to weaken our faith, and for us to deny our faith. And so these Christians are wanting to pull out of their Christian faith. 
And so this author, this writer is writing to them as a pastor, encouraging them, pleading them, calling these Christians not to give up, to keep going. All right, so let's give our full attention as we read God's holy word, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joys that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is God's word. Amen. Um, I have a four-year-old son. Uh, his name is Deacon, and uh, he's growing up a lot faster than, than I, I imagined or even hoped. Um, but one thing that I noticed about him recently is that he's, he's becoming a lot more competitive. And I think that he gets that from both myself and my wife, but probably more from me. I'm very competitive. People know this about me. But I discovered this while uh, we were walking. And we go uh, on walks often uh, throughout the week. There's a school right next to our house. And so we go for a walk, and that school has a play- playground. But, but I noticed... Um, Every now and then, Deacon would be walking with us, and then he just starts booking it down the sidewalk. Like, he doesn't have long legs. He has short, stubby legs, but they move fast, and he just starts booking it. And then after he reaches a certain point, he looks back at me with a smirk on his face and saying, ha ha, I beat you. I'm faster than you, right? And I was like, dude, I never know we were racing, buddy, right? If I knew, then I would actually try to beat you, right? That's a competitive nature. I don't want to lose my son. And, you know, I, I have my daughter, Devin, like, walking next to me. I can't leave her behind. And, you know, I'm, right now my back's not that great, so I can't carry her and run with her. So he beats me all the time, but I didn't know we were racing at all. But he would just start booking it, saying that he beats me. All, like he, he, and he beats me all the time. Um, I think often Christians, we forget that we're in a race. We don't, we don't realize that we're actually in a foot race. See, the moment that we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, Right? That faith reorients us. It repurposes us. It places us actually in a race, in a race. And so we see all throughout the New Testament, especially Paul, this is one of Paul's favorite illustrations and images to give us, an athlete who is running, who is preparing for a race. So 1 Corinthians 9.24, uh, you're not going to see it up on the screen, but let me read this for us. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may may obtain it. Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. See, over and over again, Paul is saying that the Christian life is a race. It's an athletic competition. So if you're a Christian today, Whether you know it or not, whether you're actually running or not, you are in a race. And the author of Hebrew reminds the Christians of this all too important fact. Friends, brothers and sisters, we're not bystanders. We're not sitting in the stands. We're not in a spectating uh, position. We're, We're competing in a race. And so often we forget that. We forget that truth. So the question is, how are we doing? How are we doing running this race? See, some of the Christians in this letter have stopped running altogether because it's just gotten too hard. Some of them are actually thinking about pulling out of the race because it's just not worth it. This persecution, this suffering is not worth it. 
And so they, they're thinking about pulling out altogether. The op- opposition and obstacles are too difficult to continue. And I believe that many of us in this room were facing similar struggles. Like our faith is at a standstill. Like we don't know the last time we actually grew in our faith. Some of us, because we're going through so many difficulties in our lives, we're thinking about giving up, pulling out. And so in this passage, this author, this pastor, is is encouraging the Christians to keep running, keep going. The The difference about the Christian race, though, that's different than all other races, that we're not competing against others, and we're not competing against time, right? The important truth about the Christian race is actually about finishing the race, right? We're finishing the race. We're not running to, to try to reach uh, or, or receive a prize, or I mean, we're not go- competing to try to win a prize. We're actually running this race to obtain a prize, right? The, the, the race has already been won for us. We just need to run and finish it. And so how are we going to do this? How are we going to finish this difficult race that is set before us? Uh, The pastor gives us three exhortations, three key components in how we're going to finish this race. And these are things that we all need. First thing is faith. We need faith. Secondly, we need endurance. And thirdly, we need focus. So faith, endurance, and focus. So first thing, in order to finish this race, in order to run this uh, race well, We need faith. We need faith. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let me stop there. Therefore. Whenever we see therefore in uh, uh, in any part of the Bible, we need to look at the previous teaching or the previous truth because this author is now about to apply. Right? He's going to apply. Therefore tells us he's going to apply the previous truth. So chapter 11 is the famous chapter on what? Faith. Right? We call it the hall of faith, the heroes of faith. Right? And this author is listing off all these Old Testament saints, Old Testament characters, right? telling them, telling us to know that there is people cheering for us. There is an arena filled with people that have ran this race and finished it. And he's listing off all these people. And we recently went through a series in Genesis. And so these names are familiar. I encourage you to go back and look at those names. But some of those names are Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. These are a few of the names that are in the hall of faith or the heroes of faith. And these are the great clouds, cloud of witnesses that this writer is referring to. Those that have ran this race and have finished it. Uh, so last year, for the first time ever, I actually got, I got to attend a, a, a Laker game. Right? I'm, I'm not a Laker fan, but somehow I got, uh, my, one of, one of uh, our friends here got me tickets, and we actually got to go to watch uh, the Laker game, and it's, it's really incredible, and, and Laker fans tell me all this time, you just got to go and just, just experience it, and it, it was an amazing game. It was like a, a buzzer beater game winner by like, Swaggy P, uh, Nick Young. He's not here anymore, but it was a great game, but once I got to Staples Center, and I, I, I got into the arena where the basketball court is, the first thing I did, I looked up. What did I see? All these banners and all these jer- jerseys of their achievements, all these championships, and all these players where their jerseys were retired. It's actually an amazing uh, thing to witness. As you look up, you just see all the rich history of, of the Lakers franchise. And, and I was genuinely, I was filled with awe. Because, you know, being from Seattle, we don't have a basketball team <laughs> no more. But even our achievements cannot compare to the Lakers. 
And I could just imagine some of the rookies coming in, right? The first thing that they do when they go into the, the, the court is they look up and they see all the achievements, and it will just inspire them. The author of he, uh, Hebrews is, is giving us that type of imagery in that picture. Look at all these different individuals, right? Look at all these people that finished the, uh, the race of faith, and they finished well. But if you take a close look at some of these individuals, their resumes aren't that great. It's, it's actually filled with, with holes and with um, sin. Right? They're so imperfect. Let me list a few of these unfortunate right, characteristics of some of these individuals. All right? Getting drunk in front of their kids. Right? That was Noah. Selling out your wife, not once, but twice. That was Abraham. Right? Deceiving and stealing a birthright. Right? Deceiving his own father. That was Jacob. Adultery. Right? Samson, adultery and murder, King David, prostitution, Rahab. These are all the people that are listed in uh, Hebrews 11. And yet, the author is telling, look at these individuals. Right? Look at these individuals. Be encouraged by their what? Faith. Right? When we look at every single one of these, there's nothing actually special about these men and women. There is nothing exceptional about their character. What was exceptional about them was their faith in an exceptional God. Right? They're imperfect. They're, they're full of sin and dysfunction, but yet they finished the race. Why? Because they believed and they placed their faith in an exceptional God. They were not exceptional individuals. So being surrounded by these individuals whose lives were filled with scandal and sin and brokenness, Yet we see them finishing the race well because of their faith in God. So what is faith? Why is faith necessary to run this race? We need faith because it produces something that we need, especially when things get tough, and that is hope, right? Hope. Hebrews 11.1, it's going to go up on the screen. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Now, I think a lot of us, we, we read this and we misunderstand what the author is trying to say. We misapply what, what we think what faith is, right? So faith is the assurance, assurance. The Greek word there is substance. Faith is the substance in things hoped for. So faith is taking a hold of something concrete, tangible and real, right? And whatever that substance is, it produces hope. It gives us hope. See, these Christians are lacking hope. They're stopped, they're, they, they just stopped running the race. Others are wanting to pull out. They need hope, but how do they get it? See, when many of us, we, we find out a, a brother or sister is struggling, uh, what do we try to do? We actually try to motivate them, to give them more hope. So we say things like, stay hopeful, right? Don't lose hope. What does that mean? When we say that to someone, hey, don't lose hope, uh, just keep hoping, what, what, do we, what do we really mean by that? Isn't it simply that we're telling people to, that individual, to try to muster up hope on their own? Isn't that what we're saying, right? Muster up hope in themselves, right? Envision you getting that job, right? And getting that favorable outcome. Hope in that. And so all, all too often, I think we misunderstand what this author is trying to say. 
Because when we speak of hope today, we, we're, it's more of wishful thinking. Oh, I, I hope the Seahawks win the Super Bowl. I hope there's no traffic in LA. Right? These are foolish hopes. <laughs> right? There's, there's no guarantee that there, of any of those things, especially in LA. Right? So when we speak of hope, it's so different than the way that the, the biblical authors speak of hope. See, Paul says, this is what Paul says about hope in Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not put us to shame. How many of us in our hopeful, in our foolish hope, have we been put to shame? Right? We lose a bet or, or we, 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 we're, we're hoping for something to happen, but it actually doesn't. And, and we're, we look like fools. Well, what Paul is saying, hope does not put, to sh- uh, put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Gospel hope will not disappoint. That's what Paul is saying. Why? It will not put us to shame. Why? Because of God's love. It's a sure thing. His Spirit is now deposited within us. See, the strength of our hope is not found in the place, uh, the strength of our hope, right, is going to be found in the place we put our confidence in, right? So hope cannot produce confidence. Hope cannot produce confidence. Rather, confidence is what gives us hope. Let me say that one more time. Hope cannot produce confidence. Confidence is actually what will give us hope. Faith is living our lives in light of a future guarantee. It's taking hold of something concrete. It's taking hold of God's promises and holding on to that. And this is what produces hope. Why? Because it is a guarantee. God promises it. He never, he never fails in his promises. Right? Faith And that substance is what produces hope and allows us to run this race no matter how difficult it gets. So what is that substance, right? What is that substance that that this writer is asking us to take a hold of, to to lay our lives upon, right, this foundation? It's this inheritance that, that, that we have in Christ. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Right? Faith is assurance. It's a substance. That substance is this inheritance, this future possession that Christ has secured for us. So the exercise of faith is actually living in reality of this future guarantee. That there will be no more pain, no more sorrow. That we will be glorified in physical bodies. That there is a place that God has secured for us in heaven. Take a hold of that. Live in that reality as if it is true. And it is true for us. So faith takes a hold of a future possession and we live it in the the present time. That is what this author is is saying when he's saying faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is not wishful thinking. Oh, I hope I get that. I hope God will accept me. I hope I will have a place. No, it's already been secured because because of our faith in Jesus Christ. 
And so, so the Old Testament saints who were under the law, the old covenant, took a hold of this promise and they were able to finish the race. The old covenant saints, who are we? We are new covenant believers. We have witnessed and heard and seen Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. He's seated at the God, uh, right hand of God Almighty. We are on the other side of the new covenant. How much more of a reason should we be placing our faith in the assurance, in that substance? Because we know it. We've heard it. We, we hear it every Sunday. The Old Testament saints had no chance to hear that. But yet they believed in God's promise, and that is what allowed them to finish the race. Faith is the assurance, the substance of God's promises seen and demonstrated in Jesus Christ. He conquered sin and death for us. He, he rose again for us. He's now interceding and mediating on behalf of us. See, our hope, our hope rises and falls in whatever we place our confidence in. See, the heroes of faith, although unstable, insecure, broken, and sinful, place their confidence in God and his promises. So even in their failures and sins, they didn't lose hope and they kept running. Church, in what or in whom are we placing our confidence in today? Oftentimes it's in ourself, it's in our careers, maybe it's in our family, a relationship. See, if and when those things fail us, if and when they will fail us, what happens then? Our hope goes with it. Right? We, 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 we get weak, we get exhausted, we, we fatigue, we're tired because we placed our confidence in something that cannot secure anything for us. It isn't the strength of our faith, but rather the object of our faith that will allow us to finish the race. It doesn't matter how how strong your faith, you think your faith is, if, if the object of your faith is weak, right, so will you be. So learn from these witnesses. Learn from these Old Testament saints um, who, who believed and, and held true or held tightly to uh, the promises of God. So faith allows us to take a hold of future promises and live in its reality today. So we can experience the blessings of the benefit of, this, of these possessions through faith today. So it's, it is a future reality, but we can experience those blessings today. So what this means, once again, is that we're not racing, uh, we're not racing to, to win a prize, but simply to obtain the prize. It's waiting for us. Christ has secured it for us. The second thing that we need, another virtue that we need in order to finish this race well is endurance. Endurance. As I'm speaking right now, there's a triathlon happening, right, outside uh, in this neighborhood, right, running, uh, swimming, and biking, right? You need endurance. Runners need endurance, right? And we need to uh, prepare to be able to endure, right? Why? Because we'll face challenges. We'll face many challenges, many different obstacles in this race of faith. Some of those challenges will come from the outside, like those in Kyrgyzstan, outside persecution. But a lot of those challenges will come from internal sins. Sins, idols that we, we worship. These are the things that we, we need to lay aside in order to develop endur endurance and perseverance, right? 
What does the passage tell us? Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. In other words, shed unnecessary weight that hinders us from running this race. See, the lighter you are, the faster you can go and the longer you can go, right? Athletes, you know this. Runners, spikers, you know this. The lighter you are. And that's why we go to every single, like, whatever we can do, we buy the latest uh, technology. We get the tightest skin suit, right? Why? Because it it helps us, right, run this race, right? You see all the bikers wearing skin suits, this very tight spandex. Why? Why do they do that? Right, because it prevents drag. Swimmers, right? I had had, one of my best friends was a swimmer in high school. He shaved his legs, and his armpits. I'm like, what? Ew, why'd you do that? Because <laughs> it prevents drag. Drag is, is things that, it's friction, it's unnecessary friction that holds us back from not allowing us to go faster and going further, right? Drag. Because drag cr- creates fatigue and exhaustion. These are the things that are impeding us in running this race well. So this author is saying, lay aside every weight. Let go of all those sins that's, that, that entangles you, that prevents you from running this race. So what is that for us today? For many of us, it's habitual sin. And I can't help but share once again as, as a loving brother and a pastor, for men, this is pornography. Pornography is preventing us right, from running this race. It's hindering us from running this race of faith. For others, it might be habitual lying, habitual gossiping, habitual cheating, right? In your business, whatever it may be, these habituals, habitual sins are, are, are unnecessary drag. It's holding us back from running this race. Another thing that we need to lay aside is unforgiveness. Holding on to bitterness and resentment, it creates drag, right? Un, un, the unwillingness to reconcile with a brother or sister the inability to forgive another brother or sister. This is a prison. These are shackles. These are chains that prevents us from running this race of faith. Material wealth, attachment to earthly pleasures, being tied to temporary satisfactions. These are, this is another weight that we carry for many of us. So shed unnecessary weight. Not only as sinful things. Let me, let me give you another list of things that are permissible that I believe that are preventing us, that are, that's holding us back from running this race well. Mindless entertainment. Hours, of, hours and hours upon just playing video games or, or being on your phones. Right, Binge-watching unedifying shows. Right, again, permissible. These aren't blatantly sinful. It's a waste of time. <laughs> it's not doing anything to help us in this race of faith. But yet, we consume so much unwholesome entertainment. We spend hours and hours upon our computers or in front of a PS4 playing video games. I'm convinced that these are things that hinder us from running this race. Right? Online shopping, just buying, purchasing, like medicating yourself, revenuing yourself by buying new things all the time. Again, this is unnecessary. See, all those things, these things aren't sinful, it's not beneficial. It's not, it's not helping us. It's, it's like eating empty carbs. There is no nutri- nutritional value. Right? It only makes us more tired and fatigued. See, brothers and sisters, a Christian race is a long, long marathon. It's not a sprint, so we need endurance. We need perseverance. 
in order to complete this race. See, running is, is hard enough as it is, but when we have this, when we have this added weight, when we have this drag, it, it just makes it even more difficult. We get that much more quickly exhausted and fatigued. So what is that for you in your life today? What is that unnecessary drag that you're carrying with you in running this marathon? See, the writer is calling us to repent of these sins, to forego old allegiances, and to turn away from these things that weaken our faith in God. And as we do, he calls us to run with endurance. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, these Christians, at a certain point when they converted, they, they didn't have a hard time actually enduring. They didn't have a hard time persevering. If you look at chapter 10, right, what the author reminds these Christians that at one point they were actually able to endure and persevere through hardships and persecution, right? I'm not going to read the passage, but what he says is they endured public, public humiliation. They were actually able to endure it, persevere through it. When their property was getting plundered and confiscated and stolen, what the author says, you had joy when they did that. You joyfully allowed them to do that. So there was a point of time where they were actually doing this, running this race well. They were persevering and enduring. But after time uh, and, and after persecution after persecution, hardship after hardship, it just got so difficult where their, their endurance was waning. They weren't able to persecute. They were, they were wanting to give up. And they ran out of steam. Brothers and sisters, we need, we need endurance. We need persecution. And, and to be honest, this is one of the hardest exhortations that I have to give to, to the people that I love in this church. This is probably one of the hardest exhortations to give. Endure. Persevere. It's, it's, it's so hard for me to share that because that means that there's something that they're going through that is hard. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. They're suffering. And, and for many of us, this pain and suffering, there's just no end in sight. There is no end in sight. And so I find myself over and over again in this season of our church, meeting with people, saying this exhortation, sharing the same exhortation, endure, persevere. It's, it's so hard. I, I wish I can say something more. I wish I can give them a solution. I wish I can say that, that, that everything will work out. But I, there's just no, there's no guarantee on this side of heaven of anything. So what I, what I find myself saying is endure, persevere. See, many of us, we're in a season where, where we're called to endure. Even though we're stuck at a dead-end job, we're called to endure. Even though our, our loved one is suffering from a terminal illness, we're called to endure and persevere. Even though you're, you're, you're experiencing constant, constant conflict in your family and in your marriage with your kids, your kids are just disobeying you, rebellious. God is calling us to endure and persevere. Even though your prayers aren't being answered according to what you want the answer to be, we're called to endure and persevere. Keep praying. Even though your depre depression persists and there's just no way, there's no solution. You're called to endure and persevere. And so for many of us, we're in this season. But how do we do this? How do we endure? How do we persevere? See, we have, again, our way of doing this. 
Right? We cope with our pain in, in, in this way. We just grit our teeth. We just try harder. And hopefully, we come out stronger at the other end. Right? We rely on ourselves. Right? We tolerate by ourselves. Right? And depending on our, our tolerance level, it, it, it depends on how long we can endure and persevere. See, there's a difference between simply pers- uh, persevering and enduring, right? There, there's a difference between persevering and enduring, as the world teaches us, and persevering and enduring in faith. It, it's just completely different, right? So, so, so many of us, we're going through difficulty, and we're just going to persevere and endure, right? With no object to, to give us, no source to allow us to endure and persevere. And this brings us to our last point. What is the last thing that we need in order to finish this race? We need focus. Focus. We need to endure and persevere by focusing on Jesus Christ. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Looking to, this is a very interesting, unusual Greek phrase. Ferantes ace, right, is a Greek verb. It's very unusual. What this author is saying is, it means looking away, taking your eyes off an object and turning your gaze to something else. That's what it means, right? Ferantes ace. Look away from an object and turn your gaze to something else. And the author is saying, you cannot look at two different directions at the same time. You just cannot. It's impossible. So he's saying, turn our gaze away from and turn our gaze towards Jesus Christ, the perfecter and the founder of our faith. See, I'm not a runner. Uh, I don't believe in running for fun. I just don't understand people <laughs> that do that. But in college, I, I decided uh, to run in, a, in the Seattle half marathon, uh, half marathon, 13 miles. Um, and and it, was, um, it was hard because I didn't actually train for it, which was really dumb. But I just decided to run for it because it was, for, uh, it was for, for cancer, primary reason for cancer. And so I ran. And if you guys don't know uh, anything about Seattle, Seattle's very hilly. Uh, it's like San Francisco, just all these different hills. And so there was a stretch of the marathon where it was, it was in a residential area, and it was just all hills. I was dying. I, I, just, I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, and these hills were steep. It's not like, you know, just like hill, It was like literally like this where you're, 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 I was barely making it up these hills, right? It's up and down, up and down, up and down. For I want to say about a mile to two miles. It was just that. And I actually wanted to give up. Because I didn't train for this. I wasn't, I wasn't um, you know, preparing for this well at all. But I, I was like, after all of that, I was like, dude, I'm, I'm done. I'm just going to walk the rest of the way. But there was a moment in the marathon where there was an opening. There was a clearing. Because, you know, there's, again, a lot of trees, a lot of buildings. There was a clearing, and I saw something. I saw the space needle. You guys know what that is? It looks like a little uh, spaceship, right? A long spaceship. That's where the finish line was. And after I saw that, something happened within me where I was like, no, I'm almost there. Even though I wasn't, I wasn't almost there. I still have maybe seven miles left, right? But I saw the space needle, right? That was the finish line. It it did something within me where it just motivated me. It gave me a second wind. And I just kept going. And what what I found myself doing as I was running, even though it was hard, I just kept looking at the space needle. That's the finish line. I'm almost, I'm almost done. This author, this writer is telling us to do that. 
Keep your focus on Jesus Christ. Don't turn your gaze away from him. And there was actually a study conducted about this kind of phenomenon, right? This is a quote by someone, a psychology professor at New York University. Narrowly focusing visual attention on a specific target, like a building a few blocks ahead, rather than looking around your surroundings, makes that distance appear shorter, helps you walk faster, or in in our case, run faster, and also makes exercising seem easier, unquote. This is is a study conducted by a a psychology professor. Focus, narrowly focusing visual attention on a specific target. Place your focus. Turn your attention. Fixate on Jesus. Fixate on Jesus. When you're going through difficulties, when you're you're suffering, when, when you're called to endure and persevere, we're called to look to Jesus. Why? He is a source of our assurance. You want to know why you can, you can be sure? You, know, you want to know the guarantee, the, the, the warranty that we have? Look to Jesus. He's the source of our faith. He's the reason why we're running in the first place, and he's the one who's going to secure a place for us at the finish line. And the writer says something astonishing about Jesus. This is what we're going to close with. He says something so astonishing. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who, for the joy? This is, again, um, it doesn't make sense. The cross was the most cruel way and humiliating way to be, crucif- or to be executed. It says that for Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. This pastor, this writer is giving us the ultimate example of endurance and perseverance. He endured the most shameful way of being executed. And he did this with joy. Why? Why? Right? He's not a masochist. Right? He doesn't enjoy pain. It was actually very difficult for him. But why was he able to endure with joy the cross? Because he too understood that there was a reward at the end. He too trusted in God. God glorified him, seated him at his right hand. And the reward for him was many of us sitting here. Sinners redeemed, a people for God himself. He had that vision in mind. He believed in God's goodness and his promise. And he was given all things under his authority. But it meant for him to go through suffering like many of us. Many of us, we're, we're going through suffering and pain right now. And we're called to endure. We're called to persevere with joy. See, Christians, we can suffer well because we see Jesus, the ultimate sufferer, the ultimate glorified one. Brothers and sisters, we're promised something. We're promised glorified bodies. We're promised perfection. We're promised a savior. We're promised eternal joy with God. We can be sure of that because of what Christ did. He died for our sins. He rose again to give us newness of life. And he is now in heaven interceding and mediating our behalf. He is securing for us that heavenly possession. See, whether you consider yourself religious or not, whether you're a Christian here or not, we're all running. We're all running hard. We're doing something. We're trying to achieve something. 
But the Christian race is altogether, altogether different than all the other religions out there. See, religion tells us, run hard. Run your hardest. Do your best so that you'll be accepted. Do your best so that God would accept you into his kingdom. That's what religion tells us. See, Christianity tells us something completely different. Christianity tells us that Jesus has already run the prize for us. He ran the perfect race. We're simply running to obtain, to receive that inheritance. It's waiting for us. Jesus Christ has won it for us. You are now free to run and run hard because there's something waiting for us at the end. Right? It's, not, it's not we're running for first place. No, we're running because we have our place secured in Christ Jesus. So I want us to consider, for those of us who aren't Christians here, Consider Jesus. Turn your gaze to Jesus. He can free us. He gives us a hope that will not fail. Christians, for those of us who are going through challenges or for those of us who are experiencing pleasures forevermore and blessings, I too want to encourage us, turn your gaze to Jesus. Turn away from your problems. Turn away from your pleasures and and turn your gaze upon Jesus. And we need to do this on a regular basis because our lives are filled with distractions. Whether it's pain or whether it's pleasures, we are at every turn trying to be, Satan is trying to deter us away from our faith in Jesus. And so I hope that we can look to our Savior, the perfecter of our faith. And so how do we do this? What, what does this mean? What does it mean for us to turn our gaze to Jesus? I, it's just so simple. But yet, so often we do not do this. I just want to encourage us to, to read the Bible and pray. If you don't know where to start in the Bible, I want to just point you to the Gospel of Mark. Just start there. It's the shortest gospel. Take a paragraph, just a paragraph each day. Pray before you read it. Ask God to speak to you and reveal Christ to you. Very simple. Just, just do that every single day. And, and I'm, just, I'm just curious of how hope, like I'm just curious how much hope would arise within us Right, knowing that we have a perfect Savior in Jesus Christ. Can we do that this week? And can we do that every week? Can we do it every day to fixate our eyes on the glorious and the beauty in, in the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ? Let us run with endurance this race of faith, church. Can we do this together? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you love us, that you care for us that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to run the perfect race, to win the prize that we couldn't actually win for ourselves so that we can now be a part of this race. And you're calling us to to finish. You're calling us to endure and persevere through difficulties, through the pain that many of us are experiencing. God, God, I ask you that you'll help us to focus on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help Help us, Lord, to to cast aside any unnecessary weight. God, help us, Lord, to to release the things that we're we're gripping so tightly to in this world. God, we want to repent of our sins. And we want to confess our faith in Jesus Christ once again, the founder and perfecter, the substance in which we know that there is a guarantee of a heavenly inheritance. God, we thank you. We thank you. Help us to run. We need your strength. We need your Holy Spirit. 
God, and I ask that you'll, you'll give us a desire for your word. Give us a desire to have intimacy with you. Right, this week, God, I pray that you will encourage our brothers and sisters here to dig deep, to remind ourselves of the promises by reading the word and spending time in prayer. God, we again confess that we need your help. We thank you for your love. And we now respond in praise and adoration for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen.